Welcome to Talking Giants presented by John Boy Media. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Panic. Justin, we are almost a week away from the draft. I'm getting excited. We're going to talk about Dave Gettleman's last draft class with the Carolina Panthers in 2017. We're going to talk about the center position, hence the center field song. But how are you doing, Justin? Whoever you are, I want to punch you in the mouth. I'm sorry. I just do. That's just We're how I feel. This every time, aren't we? Well, if I continue to be funny, then yes, we are. Bobby, I this, am I try to be you. nice, but I legit don't find it funny. But go ahead. Sorry. I'm being, I, I'm being me. I'm not trying to be nice right now, actually. There was a part of this episode later in the episode where you were nice to me, and I appreciated that. Now you're just being mean to me. So we're, you're even. You're even. So I'm not mad at you. I'm doing well. It's uh, what day is it? Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday when you're listening to this. So, you know, the draft, it's a uh, it's a coming and I'm excited for it. I'm kind of excited for it to be over, to be honest, because I'm kind of over talking about the same thing over and over and over again, even though we haven't been like you and I haven't haven't been like the sources of Giants Twitter and also our podcast like definitely our podcast has not been the source of let's talk about the number four pick every single week which we try to be different um but and yeah, I, ta- I take pride in that Justin because we are the only podcast who does not talk about Isaiah Simmons our offensive tackle with the fourth pick like every, every pod I'm telling you every single other Giants podcast that is their podcast every, every episode even if it's not the main point it is part of their podcast every episode and so I do take pride in not doing that but even though we haven't been central in that conversation like every single week between you and I, or even like every, we've been doing a good job of covering other guys on Twitter. I'm kind of over it. I kind of want the Giants to just do it. But also, it's a fine line of, okay, once we actually do this draft, when's the next time we're going to have something of substantive news? So trying to navigate being present in the moment while wanting the present to be over. <laughs> I I enjoy it, man. I I really do have fun with with all the pre-draft stuff. Obviously, the draft is more fun, and then after the draft, learning about guys. But pre-draft, man, I mean, there's just so much anticipation. Anticipation, I enjoy it. And anticipation. Wow, why are you being mean to me? I what did I ever do to you? It's not what you have done to me. It's what you're going to do to me in a matter of a few minutes. So why don't we start that? Well, no, Justin. We have some freaking news. How about we do that? Oh, Can we do the news? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I tried to do a good radio podcasting transition, and here I am, screwing it up. Dave Gelman had a conference call. Obviously, you can't have the normal pressers, which I do miss that. I miss the pressers, even though every time you watch them, like, okay, there was really nothing of substance there, but then it's overreaction, and then we talk about it, and he says something funny. No holds bad. He he took me in the low post. And those are, those are drops I like, on the they're not your voice. Anyways. Oh! <laughs> that was funny. I, I don't like I don't like my voice either on the drops either, so it's it's fair. So basically, here's what happened in it: the offensive. He said the offensive tackle class is deep, which could mean that he wants one of the offensive tackles at four, or that he thinks they're going late. So nothing out of there. Listen, he didn't give us any jokes to make about technology. He just said, and this was kind of smart on him when because, like, by the way, like the analytics, like savior Jim Harbaugh. Was the, or, not, or John Harbaugh was the one who was saying that he was worried about being hacked and stuff, which was kind of funny. And they asked him, like, any issues? And he knew what was going to happen. He's like, nope, everything's been fine. He knew that was the only thing he could say. Anything else would have been ripped apart, Jess. Yeah, he's not He's not the guy that's going to go in-depth on the, the cybersecurity of the New York football giant Zoom call. He couldn't um, so mess he- <laughs> up. He couldn't be. He couldn't even admit that. Like, hey, one time our call broke up a little bit for five seconds. If he did that, it would have been bad. And we talked about the other week how like the computer folk jokes are just—they're getting old at this point. And I, I mean, sports media people—and I know this is pointing the finger back at myself—are some of the most unfunny joke repeating people in the world. Hey, it's true. It's just the same. Like I play the same drops of myself all the time. Justin, we covered this beginning of the show. Those aren't funny. I'm and I, I'm the judge of comedy. Only, actually, I can't stand those people more than anybody. It's the people who tell you what is and what isn't funny. Um, but it's I think there's a difference between saying what is and what isn't funny than being like, hey, this joke has been made 95 joke times. Like we get it, computer folk. Oh ho ho ho! Defensive tackles. Oh, like, like that joke just gets old to me. Anyways, 
He didn't give us any jokes to make. What needs to start, you know, now there was the pictures with Gettleman. There was two pictures of Gettleman with two different angles looking at his desk. And there was the picture of Boston, like the Boston skyline behind him, which I have a problem with that. And there was also a picture of Judge who had a nice countertop and, you know, he had his nice little setting. But the new joke that I now want to run with is the lotion that was sitting on Dave Gettleman's desk. Now, this is getting a little Talking Giants after dark. We don't need to go into detail on why that's funny. Talking Giants after dark, but the lotion on his desk, absolutely hilarious. Somebody did reply with a smart reply and said, the Boston air is very cold, so he needs lotion. I'm like, you know what? You're you're right. You're right. What I liked was the fact that me and him both used like a, a like a notebook as a uh, a mouse pad. No, oh, he was just using a flat out piece of paper. That wasn't I knew even that a notebook. Too. I like that. I like <laughs> it. That's that's my type of guy. I'm the same way. How many pages I, in that binder? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, there's there's a lot. But what he did say, Justin was like, hey, maybe Nick Gates will play center, and I have been, I have been. The the what do what do you call like the captain of a train? I, I forgot. The Pied Piper. Conductor. Um, I have been okay. the conductor well, of the too? Nick Gates should play center train. Justin and I had been actually playing this tweet for a while, but I was like, you know what? What a better time to do it. I said, Hey at Nick Gates, if you've been practicing snapping the ball, I like this tweet. He liked it within five minutes, Justin. Nick Gates will be our center in twenty twenty. Confirmed. Even though we just did a good job of previewing centers who we might like to see play. <laughs> For the New York Football Giants today, our guy and and I mean your friend David Powers, he he made me happy. He said we got more out of this tweet than we did um, anything from the Dave Gellman press uh, conference call, and I agree. I really do. We found out that that Nick Gates is practicing center snaps, and that's what I said a month a month or two ago, Justin, when we talked about Nick Gates. I said he needs to be practicing snapping the ball every single day, and it seems like he has been. You are truly an investigative journalist. I listen. I'm not a beat reporter, but sometimes I got to do their job for them. That's just the way it is, Justin. Yeah, Duggan. Yeah, what what the hell, Duggan? Jordan Ron on? <laughs> These guys they just don't know the work that I do, you know, this behind the scenes <laughs> stuff. Okay, so I was thinking about asking one of our friends if I can call in to the Joe Judge um conference call if I could get that phone number. And I just want to be because I, I looked up because remember we made a bet on who was named what he would say first. You said Daniel Jones, I said Golden Tate, and I want to get in there and be like, "Hey, Coach Judge, do you know how to pronounce wide receiver number 15's name?" To see whose name he would finally say. Hmm, that it would be funny. Think I should think I should do it. That's cheating, though, Justin. If I can get into that conference call and make that, you can't be mad about that. That's got to be hilarious. That's got to be funny. Yeah, if, first of all, if you were to get into that conference call, that would be the question that you would ask? Yeah, I'm not going to ask a real question. We're kind of, we're kind of, I'm not, we're not beat reporters. We're going to ask real questions. The cover two and the, cover, the multiple D. No, I'm going to ask something funny. No, you know what question actually has been on my brain recently? As everyone likes to hate on Leonard Williams and talk about cutting him. Hmm. We don't even have to answer this, by the way. Like this, this is just something that's Leonard been Williams, on my brain. By the way. I'm glad huh? you're saying good things about Leonard Williams, by the way. Yeah, because he's a good football player, and they need saying, to work on an extension. I'm blah, glad blah, 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 you're saying. I'm glad you're saying it. But I don't have to ask you later. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm wondering why not cut Golden Tate, see what money we have, and see if we can sign Marcus Golden. But I don't think that would be enough money. And that's the thought that's been on my. No, brain. it would be and enough money. Else has had that thought. It would be enough money. I actually wouldn't hate that if we draft a wide if we draft one of yes. these wide receivers. And yes. then you put Shep back in the slot full time. I wanted that's actually kind of a good idea, Justin. I like that. Wow. Thank that's, you. That's a really smart idea. You should tweet that. Or just be like, get a pass rusher or or like any anything. Like, hey, I would, I think it'd be smart to do that. I'm a Golden Tate fan, but I think I actually think that's smart. If you're planning on drafting one of these wide receivers. Did I ever tweet I don't know if I ever tweeted that, but yeah, I, I've never vocalized that on the podcast before, and I consider like what I say on the podcast to be way more seriously than what I say on Twitter in terms of like looking up receipts or whatever, because you can actually explain yourself on podcasts. But anyway, it's a thought that I had, and that would be a question that I would, even though they wouldn't answer it, there's no way Judge or Gettleman would answer it. But if I if I had like truth serum that I had to give Joe Judge or Dave Gettleman, right now that would be the question. Yeah, you I can't would ask take. him that. What is he going to answer and say, yeah? Yeah, actually, we're going to yeah, think about exactly. doing that. <laughs> I don't know. I just told you something that was on top of my brain. I, I was also thinking about asking him, which I'm not going to get in this conference call, just being like, hey, Joe Judge, you you afraid to say Daniel Jones' name? 
You afraid? Scared? You, you big scaredy cat? Now, the beat reporters would hate me for it for the mo- most part, but it'd be worth it because we're not trying to be their friends anyways. You would get hired and then you would get fired. <laughs> All right, Justin. Are you, are you ready to go into this 2017 Panther class? Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> this is the last Dave Gettleman Panthers draft class. He was fired after this uh, draft class before the season, which was weird. We don't know what was going on. Obviously, we know Dave Gettleman, and, and he rubbed some people the wrong way. Nonetheless, he was fired, Justin. So this was his last draft class. And the first pick, first round pick, eighth overall, out of Stanford, running back Christian McCaffrey, Justin. Old Christian McCaffrey. Now, his first year, he didn't get a bunch of carries. He wasn't even the starter. But after that, Justin, he started the last two seasons. In 2018, he had 1,100 yards on five yards per carry. 2019, he had uh, 1,400 yards on 4.8 yards per carry. He had 107 catches in 2018. 116 in 2019 at 8.7 yards per reception, the second most catches in the NFL. And they didn't run some extravagant um, route tree with the running back either, Justin. Remember, I went back and looked that up because the Saquon stuff yep. was aggravating me. They simply just had, when because Cam Newton was hurt, when Kyle Allen came in, they made Christian McCaffrey the running back very early in the progressions, where, as was Shermer, the running back was later in the progressions. Christian McCaffrey just got extended for four years, $64 million. So he is currently 23 years old. So that contract will end when he's about 28, 29 years old. Justin, to me, this is an awesome pick. He's an awesome player at the running back spot, but and he's the best receiving back that we've seen in a long time. It's not like he's a James White type where he's just a receiver. He runs for 1,400 yards. He had uh, 2,400 yards from scrimmage in 2019. He's an awesome player, and I think four years, $64 million is a good deal for a good player, especially with the cap supposed to going up. Yeah, uh, the, the cap and how it's supposed to change is very much at play here, and if there, I guess if there is a time to give a running back money, it is now when the cap is going to be rising so much with more games being added onto the schedule, and we don't even know you know, TV deals once once that negotiation is actually worked in and the fact that, you know, McCaffrey is so young. But Bobby, um, I just have this philosophy, man. I just have this philosophy. This might be the first time that a lot of Talking Giants listeners are hearing this. If you don't like me as a co-host, you're definitely not going to like me now. And if you were neutral on me, you're probably not going to like me. I have a philosophy of, especially, especially if I'm in the top half end of the draft, and if there are other needs that a football team needs, not to use the same word in the same sense. I don't like drafting running backs in the first round, and I do not agree with the Saquon Barkley pick. I've never said that. I, I don't think I've actually said that on air. Now, we're not talking about Saquon. We're talking about Christian McCaffrey. Now, there's a few reasons why I believe that you should not draft a running back in the first round, and I guess I'll start my part of the argument, and then, Bobby, if you want, I know you have a ton of other notes and stuff like that. So... Why you don't draft a running back in the first round? Arrowhead Pride and Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs has a lot of like good sources in terms of like uh, analytics, and they do a lot of good in-depth work. They do a lot of good in-depth studies. They're actually the ones where I got my positional value pyramid from. If you're a follower of me for a long time, I did a positional value study last summer, um, looking at like pyramids of positional value, and they in that pyramid came from Arrowhead Pride on SB Nation. They do really good work. So they had a post and they had a blog and it had a simple criteria. How many players were drafted by position and round over the last decade? Now, this was as of 2014, over the last decade, and how many went on to become a starter? The determination of a starter comes from whether the player started at least half of their career. Obviously, this will run the gambit from below average to high performing starters. You can't really measure that. But the reality is that if you can start in this league for at least half of your playing career, You are better than most. So let's go down to the running back numbers. Of the 207 players drafted between 2005 and 2014, 33 have become starters for half of their career. This gives the indication that there is a lot of running backs by committee. They put that as abbreviation of RBBC. There is a very high bust rate for running backs. 
The first round gives you a 58% chance of finding a starter, followed by 25% in the second, 16% in the third, 11% in the fourth, 9% in the fifth, 6% in the sixth, and 7% in the seventh. If you rank rounds by the total running backs drafted, you find that the greatest number are drafted in the seventh, followed by fourth, sixth, second, third, first, and fifth. Now, if you want a stud running back, you're most likely going to find him in the first. There is no doubt about that in my mind. But out of all positions, out of all positions in football, running backs have the highest bust rate based off of this huge, huge 10-year sample of a study that they did that finds that over that around 58% of, co- of running backs drafted in the first round will not even start for half of the snaps in their entire career. And if you're drafting a guy in the first round, particularly a guy in the top 10, You want him to be a stud, and you want him to be a stud for a long time. This is not to say that McCaffrey is a bad player. This is not to say that McCaffrey was necessarily even a bad pick because he does bring a lot of value. But the philosophy of drafting a running back in the first round is extremely, extremely flawed, and you have to ask yourself, what value does a running back bring? I can even even get into analytics about that right now, but I want to let you talk. I've been talking for a little bit. I want to let you talk because I have some more information as well. Give me a okay. rebuttal. I can't stand the running back. Like You should never pay a running back. I feel like it's a straw man argument because the quarterback is the most important position on the football team, and it's that by far. It's the only wait, position. What, wait, that I have can... a question. What What are you referring to? You're talking, you said something bothered you. What What bothered you specifically? I'm not, I wasn't interrupting you. The fact that it just seems like every year we're adding a position where it's like, we can't pay running backs. Uh, don't pay corners. Don't pay safety. Like, it's just every position that is like, oh, it's like pretty much the only positions people value are quarterback, wide receiver, which is the weirdest one to me, and offensive lineman. It's like the only ones that people are are valuing now. And it's almost, and even offensive linemen, people are like the PFF people, and I hate to bash them again. But it's like they're like, yeah, Nate Solder gave up was the most uh, pressures and the most sacks and was the worst left tackle in football. But they could get a wide receiver. And it's like, what? Do you, what are you guys talking about? So now we're devaluing the left tackle spot. Anyways, I feel like that you can make that argument with any position about guys getting worn down. Look at the best wide receivers. Look at Calvin Johnson out of the league early. Um, Odell, who we watched, he is is getting banged up and not as good. I mean. Did, was Odell a bad pick? Because we essentially wasted the beginning of his career. We didn't make it to the playoffs. We were a bad team. So I just feel like, especially a guy like McCaffrey does so much, and Barkley, who has the ability to do so much if he's used more in the passing game. And it's a conversation of nuance. So you draft Leonard Fournette, who's going to be a guy who just pounds the rock and gets four, 4.2 yards per carry? No. But guys like Saquon, guys like Zeke, who make that Cowboys offense, the Cowboys in 2017, the year they came off the 13-3 and three year, Justin, that was a year that Zeke got suspended for six games. With Ezekiel Elliott, 6-4, points per game. Without Zeke, 3-3, 18.3 points per game. And in three of those games, Justin, they had seven points, nine points, six points. And I just want to let you know that you can make this argument for every position but quarterback. Obviously, quarterback's the most important. You need to have your quarterback, and no one's saying that you shouldn't. But the Panthers at the time did have their quarterback. They didn't realize how banged up Cam would get for the next two years. And they were one year away from a Super Bowl in a Super Bowl team that was very run heavy. And get D'Angelo Williams was gone. Jonathan Stewart. It was also running back by committee. It was D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, who which was like the best two-headed monster. D'Angelo Williams was gone. Jonathan Stewart, we know that story. So they brought in a guy who can catch the ball as well and can be the second leading catch getter in the NFL in 2019. Anyways, so the like, well, what running backs uh, dragged their team to the Super Bowls? None, really. I mean, maybe Marshawn Lynch we'll talk about. But it's like, what other position besides quarterback drags their guys to the team? So I looked at the last 10 years, Justin. First round wide receivers who were like the number one wide receiver on their team that won the Super Bowl. Demarius Thomas, who had 105 catches, 1,300 yards, which is really good. Hakeem Nix, 76 catches, 1,192 yards, seven touchdowns. That being said, Cruz had uh, 350 yards more than him. So he wasn't even the number one guy. And Alshon Jeffrey with the Eagles who had the worst year out of all of them, 57 catches, 789 yards, and nine touchdowns. And by the way, Demarius Thomas, that team was dragged to them by their defense. And in those playoffs, he had seven catches for 60 yards. And we remember how bad Peyton was, and that was partly due to Peyton. And Demarius Thomas is a good wide receiver, but he didn't drag his team. But no one says this about wide receivers. 
running backs in the past 10 years. Marshawn Lynch. I feel like no everyone ignores Marshawn Lynch. He was a first-round pick who played through his second contract and even got more after that with the Raiders and was halfway decent. In that Super Bowl year, he had 301 carries, 1,257 yards, 13 touchdowns, 4.7 yards per carry. Even as a receiver, which he wasn't really known for, 36 catches, 318 yards, two touchdowns. So over 1,600 yards. He was that offense. Russell Wilson had not became the Russell Wilson that we know at that time. Now, Russell Wilson was important. That defense was really good. But Marshawn Lynch was that offense. And you know what? If they handed him the ball one more time, they probably win back-to-back. So the running back first wide receiver, then we have to make the same argument for wide receivers. And the reason why wide receivers last a little longer, Justin, is because it's a position that has three of that same position on the field at the same time. If you were relied on to be the best, these guys would be recycled quicker too. But look, I mean, look at Julio Jones' injury problems. A.J. Green, injury problems. Calvin Johnson out of the league. The best guys get banged up. They do. And they're not even getting more catches than Christian McCaffrey got as a running back. And this, I, and I looked up this past year, seven catches uh, running backs had over 50 catches. Uh, or, or Christian McCaffrey doubled every running back's rece- receiving totals except for seven players. And one of those was James White, and he's not even a running back. He's just a wide receiver who lines up in the backfield. Now, tight end is a very important position, right? I mean, Gronk, he was huge for those Patriots teams. We saw with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle how huge they are. Jimmy Graham, how big he was for that Saints team. Gronk was out of the league by 30. He didn't get to finish his contract. They got to pay dead money for that. Jimmy Graham, he had his last good year at 28, and he had a huge contract. No one's saying don't pay tight ends. Are we going to say when George Kittle's contract comes up, don't pay him because he's going to be banged up and missing games when he's 27 years old? I just feel like no one makes that argument for him. Inside linebackers, which I guess you could put in the, I guess after running back, the positional value argument, the best two guys in the past 10 years, Luke Keekley and Patrick Wilson, missed lots of games, both out of the NFL by 30. The last guy who wasn't a QB who was like, he won the Super Bowl. It was Von Miller, Justin. And guess what? He was on his rookie deal. And since they've paid him, the Broncos haven't made the playoffs. They haven't even really been close. Darrell Rivas, who has been a first round corner, who's, the best corner since Deion Sanders, probably. He won a Super Bowl, but it was on a one-year deal with the Patriots. And with the Jets, as good as that defense was, because they didn't have their QB, they didn't get to go to the Super Bowl, as good as that defense was. And I brought up the Cowboys. And then we talk about the play-action thing. And we talk about, well, linebackers always read their keys. Yes, they do. If you do play-action, no matter how good your running back is, how good your running game is, they will read their keys. And we've talked about this, Justin. When you run the ball like the 49ers do, the Vikings do, not only do you read your keys, you take extra steps and you sell out, and that's why Thielen and Diggs, when we watched them play the Giants, were able to get those crossing routes all day. And it's why Kirk Cousins had a better statistical year than Aaron Rodgers, even though the Packers beat the, the Vikings twice. It was because of, one, that running attack, and then you had the good wide receivers on the end. And as far as the contract-wise, Justin, $16 million. Guess who's getting paid $16 million as well? Leonard Williams. I mean, are we going to say, is Leonard Williams more impactful than Chris McCaffrey? So basically what I'm saying is you can make this don't pay this position for every single position besides QB and offensive line. Because it's, it's I, I hear the same arguments. And no position drags you to the Super Bowl besides running back. Defense, you have to, you can't just have one good player on defense. As good as you Vaughn no Miller position, was. You mean no position drags you to the Super Bowl besides quarterback? Because you said running back. Right. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I meant. Um, if I said that, sorry. Even Von Miller, as good as he was, they had Demarcus Ware on that defense. Derek Wolf was a beast. Malik Jackson. They had good linebackers. They had a keep to leave. Like that defense was good as a whole. So it's it's there's no position that will drag you. No position wins you the Super Bowl besides the quarterback. And I just feel like this argument is made because yeah, there's running backs you shouldn't have taken in the first round. The Rams should have never taken Todd Gurley in the first round, especially with his injury history. But there's guys who are different. Saquon Barkley falls into that level. Ezekiel Elliott falls into that level. He completely changes that Dallas offense. And Christian McCaffrey falls into that level. And if you're going to judge it by, oh, he didn't win a Super Bowl, well, then we could just play that position, that game with every single position. I would like to be proven wrong. I have not been proven wrong yet. Now, I feel like you're you're arguing but, against PFF right now. You're, wait, hold on. What because would be proven right, receivers, What would be proven right if one of these teams can actually go on and win a Super Bowl? The Seahawks did. With Marshawn this, Lynch on their contract, now here's the thing. on the second this, contract, this is, first round pick. No, this, they no, even traded no, no, no. for him. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the point. The Seahawks didn't put first round investment into Marshawn Lynch. 
they got him off of a, a good value trade deal. They got yeah, him off they of paid a good him. trade. They, you say you never pay running backs. Well, they didn't they paid him after the fact? Yeah, but you shouldn't pay running backs. And he filled, he pulled out that full contract. They paid him after the fact, after they traded for him. They did not give him the money. They did not sign him for that contract themselves, nor did they spend the first-round value invest. So that's why it makes that the Seahawks example of Marshawn Lynch, that's why that's an exception. That's not a reason to defend, oh, that's why you should do this, that's why you should do that in terms but I'm of saying, you know, name taking any the other pos- first pick. But I'm saying, like, okay, like it'd be one of these teams, but like, what other position? I mean, obviously QB, like no one's arguing that, like, no one's arguing that you should like build around Saquon and don't worry about quarterback play and only worry about Saquon. No one's saying that or, or with McCaffrey. Right, and I agree with you. But it's like the Panthers had their QB. I, I just don't. I, I just feel like you can play this. You can play this with any. You can play with left tackle. There's there's no position like QB. Everyone's admitting. No, that. I. I agree with you. That's why I think, oh, well, that this is why I think 2018 was such a mistake for the Giants because they chose to go with the running back and a thing that they didn't necessarily All right, let's need not talk about the Giants that, right now because it, it'll right. turn in, we're already 25 minutes in. The Panthers had their QB. They were one right, year you, removed no, from the Super Bowl. Yes, I understand. I understand all of this. But you, I almost feel like you're not even arguing against me. You're arguing against pro football focus. You're arguing against the against people the that are never draft a running back in the first round, never pay no, a running the back fir- crowd. No, because the first thing that you brought up was wide receivers. And I'm with you in that regard. I'm kind of with you where we've talked about on. We, I, literally I brought, brought up, up every up position. Re- I, I brought up every position, though. That, I mean, wide receiver was one is the first one, but tight end is, this, is, is in there. Linebackers in there, like pass rusher, corner. You know, yeah, I understand. But also, what you did is you cherry picked from each position. I actually had a study that looked at two thousand four hundred sixty-five players over ten years, and I told you that running back has the highest bust percentage in the in the NFL draft in terms of players that start for half of their career. But Christian McCaffrey's not a bust. Can I also understand that Christian McCaffrey's not a bust? Which technically leads me to my next point, and I I wanted to hold off because I wanted you I wanted you to go. But it leads me to my next point, and I'm going to say this briefly. This could be a conversation that could continue as well. There were 27 running backs in 2019 that collectively averaged 4.96 yards per touch or more. So this isn't just 4.96 yards per carry. This is 4.96 yards per touch. While that's nearly a full yard worse than what McCaffrey produced, the difference in what it means for over a season's worth of touches just doesn't seem quite as large. Basically, if you give the average high-volume back McCaffrey for a 403-touch workload, he would have produced 2,007 total yards. Now, do those 385 total extra yards gained from McCaffrey from, two, from this is solely from the 2019 season really is it really worth, number one, is it worth that first round pick where you could find running backs either later on, or is it worth, you know, now we're talking about Christian McCaffrey getting $16 million per season. Now, this excerpt that I read, I do have to give credit, this excerpt that I read was from Yaya Dubin from CBS Sports. That that little excerpt that I read was for him, so I do have to give him credit. Does he have a profile so picture of himself? No, it's a, it's a, it's so a, typical, like a, typical. it's a bitmoji or whatever you call it. That's always, that's always what it is with those guys. All right. Here's why I don't like that though. You can't give those guys, those touches that McCaffrey gets. And the that's more touches you, have you go down, by committees. the more yards per carry that goes down. No, because you're just, you're putting like, Oh, this, this, this. So when like one guy's big carry, like if, if you look at Saquon's last four games where he had the two big carries against the Eagles and the Redskins, he's averaging nine yards per carry. But when you look out through a full season, that number goes down because you have more of a sample size. And we also saw, Justin, we never didn't have a box that had as many blockers as we have because we have Saquon Barkley. I'm not going to speak for the Panthers because I don't watch their games every time. But when you watch other teams, that's not the case. So with those great guys comes extra people in the box. When they're good receivers like McCaffrey, that means more attention to the receiving game. So their yards per catch are going to go down. And it's just like it's it's not it's I feel like it's apples and oranges because it's not the same situations. I have actually data to back up your point about box about boxes. Um, so let me let me find that. It's on NFL Next Gen's rushing eight plus defenders in the box percentage. Forty um, percent. Jeez, Tevin Coleman at a forty percent eight plus defenders in the box. Let's see. You go down. Um, we actually talked about this. Uh, Christian McCaffrey faced eight men 
eight men plus in the box 23% of the time, which was about middle of the pack in the league. I'm not doing the counting right now. Compare that to if, Saquon Barkley, who but what if faced, you only have five um, off faced, the line? or who faced eight-plus men in the box 11% of the time. You also have to take that. Well, I mean, no, Christian McCaffrey even played on a bad football team, too. So I was going to say you have to take into account. But you're never going to have eight men in the box when you have six blockers. You'll have seven men in the box. All right, let me, let, me, let me check short football stats then. Let me check short football stats and personnel grouping frequency. Carolina was running out of 11 personnel 63% of the time. 12, uh, 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. 12 personnel, which is two wide receivers, two tight ends, one running back. They were running out of that 21% of the time. And then 20, 21 personnel, which is two wide receivers, two running backs, um, one tight end. They were running out of that 7% of the time. Kind of similar to the Giants, except they were running out of 11 personnel 70% of the time. And the Giants were also running out of 12 personnel 20% of the time. So they kind of ran very similar formations. Right. But, but basically McCaffrey what I'm faced saying- a lot more eight-plus men, bo- eight men in the box, uh, probably twice as more as Barkley did. Okay, but you said Coleman had the um, – and that probably helped with his receiving. But you said Coleman had the most – what do we know that the 49ers do? The 49ers ran That most teams don't do. They they the run 49ers, two tight end a fullback. Well, I I, much I can more. tell I can I I can tell you how much more. 21 personnel which is, again is uh two running backs with, with you know fullback running back, one tight end, two wide receivers. They ran that 33% of the time. That was the highest amount in the NFL. All right. So are, have we said our piece? That didn't turn into an argument. It turned into a good conversation, I think. Um, yeah, and I think it, it's one that can here's my, continue. Absolutely. And here's where I, I get frustrated, and we'll move on. We'll move on after this. I get frustrated because I don't look at people who say, hey, don't draft a running back in the first round, or like you shouldn't draft this running back. I don't go and like, oh, that's dumb. I just can't stand the speaking in absolutes that Leonard Fournette is the same as Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey. I just I can't stand that kind of stuff. I can't stand it's like there's just no nuance. When I said, like you can make, like I said, I like when I'm talking about like, oh, wide receiver, this, this, it is cherry picking because I don't believe what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can make that argument for every position. Anyways, in the second round with the 40th overall pick, wide receiver Curtis Samuel. Um, this one, eh, he had a better – he kind of like came into his own a little bit this last year in 15 games. He had 54 catches, 627 yards, six touchdowns. He also ran the ball a little bit, 19 carries, 130 yards, one touchdown. Debo Samuel saw he does run it. Actually, he runs it a decent amount. But his catch percentage kind of sucks. He had a, It was better in his first two years. Curtis Samuel is a guy people talk about nicely. They think he's a pretty good player. Um, but in the second round, I want you getting more production earlier um, than Curtis Samuel did. I agree. I agree. Not, not much to really touch on Curtis Samuel here. Okay. In the last pick of the second round, 64th overall, Taylor Moton. He started 32 games the last two years. From what everyone has said to me, He's an awesome offensive tackle, like really good. So that's obviously a win, right? Yes. Yes. And even when Trey Turner was in the concussion protocol for the first three weeks of his rookie season, of Moton's rookie year, there actually was a little bit of a surprise when Moton, he wasn't the completely the go-to replacement right away. But if he's developed as a good player, I will take your word for it, Bobby Skinner. Just might have taken a little time for him to develop. Well, he didn't play his whole, or he didn't start the whole first year, but the second year, two and three, he started every game. And I remember when I brought him up, people came to me and said he's really good. Listen, I don't, I, I don't know how good their offensive tackle is. I don't watch the Panthers game, but people say he's good. Um, so I'll, I'll say that's good, especially in the, end of the second round. Round three, pick seventy-seven, defensive end Deshaun Hall. He really has never done anything. He got hurt, and then he was cut after his rookie year. In the third round, I get IR. I don't know what the injury was, but that's that's a bad pick. All right, fifth round, 152nd overall, Corn Elder, who was on our practice squad this year, played 61 snaps. Fifth round, never played. That's not good. Corey Ballantyne's a sixth-round pick, and he's gotten some playing time and has shown potential. Corn Elder has never really played. He had 61 snaps, was the most he ever had. So fifth-round pick, so you're not crying about it, but it's not a good pick. No, he had a surgery on his knee in the fall, like after he got picked. Um, he should have been ready for 2018's minicamp sessions, and I guess things just never really fully took took shape. But again, fifth round, I mean, we've been saying this entire time, 
how, you know, if you, we're not going to get mad if a fifth round guy doesn't pan out. You're going to get more mad about a third round pick and a second round pick not panning out for Dave Gellman rather than a fifth guy, fifth round guy. So, right. All right. Sixth round, 192nd overall, Alex Arma, fullback. From what everyone says, he is a beast of a fullback. He's got like an important role in a team that ran the ball more. I don't know how they're going to do with Matt Rule, but you get your starting fullback in the 192nd pick which I wanted the Giants to get a fullback, and maybe they will. That's, that's a good pick. Fullback is underrated. I'm all for it. Right. And then seventh-round pick, 233rd overall, Harrison Butker, who never played for the Panthers, so you can say it's a bad pick, but Gettleman was gone when he was cut. He was fired by this. He has been a 90% kicker for the Chiefs the last three years, as was the kicker for the Super Bowl team. Good pick. Dumb Panthers for letting him go. Silly Panthers. Silly Panthers. All right, Justin, I think what your thoughts are on Christian McCaffrey changed how you think about this draft, whether it's good or bad. I think Taylor Moton's a good pick. You get Alex Arma, the fullback. Harrison Bucker doesn't play for them, but he's a good player, so you get some guys in important roles. Carter Samuel has has shown some promise, so I, because of Christian McCaffrey, am saying this is an above-average draft, but Deshaun Hall leaves a little sour taste in my mouth when you get a third-round pick who never plays. Um. So I like McCaffrey a lot, so I'm saying this is a good draft. I like McCaffrey. He's a good player. Uh, I just I just don't agree with the philosophy. I never I I don't I wish well, somebody let me can explain convince to me no, otherwise. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I wish somebody can convince me otherwise. I, I hope I hope I get convinced otherwise. You know, if the Giants open go your on mind. They, if they freaking go on I, I my my mind kind of is opened and it's and the argument is based on data, which I already gave, and I have more data to back it up. But anyway, I say this is an average draft class. Very, very average. A little bit better than the one that we talked about uh, on Monday. It's a lot better than what we talked about on Monday. Um, all right, so we'll put it up to a vote what people think. All right, just kidding. No, we should not do that. <laughs> all right, right, let's. Uh, we're going to talk about some centers now, even though it's, it's so irrelevant because Nick Gates is going to be our starting center. But let's talk about some centers and a couple guards transition. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, let's look at some centers. Justin, centers, a, it's a weird position to project because there's some guys who they can handle like the beating of college, but then the NFL, they're just outmatched physically. And then there's some guys who are all technique. and Or, or sorry, there's some guys that can just maul guys. Um, and then technique wise, they just get completely blown up. Um, so centers is a, is a, a weird position to judge. I kind of look for guys that can maul at the college level, but then have some technique. I like a guy who knows how to pull. If you're not getting any movement, that worries me a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I get you may be smart and you make the right decisions and you're get good getting to the second level. But it just worries me a little bit that at the college level you can't get any movement. But also movement with like the center, it's you're not going to get a ton in the NFL anyways because it's just you're one, you're just not because of how big and strong and fast the, the defensive tackles are. And two, you know, you're just not going to blow a guy up five, six yards when, uh, you know, running backs are one, two, go. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like you need to move a guy back five yards. So it's a it's a tricky position to evaluate. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of touched on this to start because one of the things that we were actually talking about, if you're if you're a listener of Talking Giants and if you're a listener of Bleeding Blue, you got to go all the way back to our bye week episode where Bobby and I, we started having like this conversation on what do you kind of uh, value more in an offensive lineman? And maybe maybe it's different when you're talking about tackles. Maybe it's even different if you're talking about guards. But you know, particularly if we're talking about these interior linemen today, what do you value more? Do you value like the play strength? Do you value being a mauler? And then if your if your technique and maybe your lateral movement is a little slow coming out of college, is that something you can develop as a pro or? So you, I would say, Bobby, you kind of value that part of it where you want, you want the play strength, you want to be a mauler, you can develop a little bit of lateral movement if that's not a strong part of your game. But where I evaluate and where my my brain is at and what I really look at, and a lot of my guys on my list, at least my top two guys on my list, what they have, they have the lateral movement, relatively speaking, and they but they definitely, my top two guys, they have the great 
footwork. They have great footwork. They have good hand placement. They have good technique. And that is something I'm kind of willing to sacrifice a little bit of play strength. If you understand angles, if you understand how to position yourself, if you understand how to position other defensive players that you're going up against, then I, I value that a lot more than play strength and mauling. However, it's my first year really scouting and looking at players and Bobby and I were not scouts, but I just value that more (laughs) misinformation, just misinformation panic. But that's just something that I value more. It may change throughout the years, but I've always wondered that from you, especially since Bobby, you've kind of earned your chops, uh, you know, breaking down film, your breakdowns are film, my breakdowns. I like to look at cat videos and Daniel Jones and Eli Manning in a bar in Hoboken. I like to break down <laughs> schemes. It's hard to like project these guys when they're going against different talent uh, where QB QB is actually now there's a bigger miss rate, but QB is a little easier to evaluate because it's like, OK, let's see his decision making. I guess it is harder because when you have Ohio State and LSU, it's like everything works. You know what I'm saying? That's why. Like, I wasn't, like, projecting Daniel Jones was kind of not, I don't want to say easy, but it's like, okay, this guy is facing all the worst stuff, and let's see what he's doing with it. Anyways, let's start with the guy that you just described, Justin, and that's Michigan center Cesar Ruiz. He's six foot three, 307 pounds. He ran a 508.40 at the combine, 28 bench press reps, 33-inch vertical jump, and a 4.64 shuttle. Justin, a lot of people have him as the best center uh, in this draft, I wouldn't tell them they're wrong. He started 31 career games. The things that pop out the most is he's extremely quick out of his stance. I mean, from he snaps that ball quick, and he is he is in guys, and he gets his hands on guys quick as well. So that is the biggest thing is he's not going to be lost. Like he's not going to be snapping the ball and getting blown up at the same time. He snaps that ball and he is up in his in his uh the defender in front of him. And like when he does double team, when there's you know there's gonna be a lot of double teams at the center position in the NFL, he's very quick to get to the linebacker and get off of there. Um, he uses extremely good leverage. He probably has like the best like leverage in in the draft as far as centers. Uh, he's got good active feet. Footwork is honestly like the most important thing in the run game. Is do you have those pitter patter duck feet? Not like a you know not one two three and then you're just pushing with your upper body. Are you constantly moving those feet? Short soppy chaps. And Ruiz does that, so I like all of that. That being said, the thing that was negative is he just he doesn't really drive anyone. He doesn't push guys back. He can get bullied like uh, in the bull rush at times, where Alabama had a little success against him. So that is the thing that worries about me. But everything else, technique wise, he's a really good player. But he's just not going to blow guys off the ball. Yeah, his get off and when he gets out of his stance, that's one thing that automatically popped out to me. He performed very, very well. He caught my eye at the combine. I mean, I know it's just shorts, but I like a guy that looks good in shorts when he got the good footwork because then that entices me to click onto your film. And the thing about Ruiz is there's nothing that's really flashy about his game. Like, there's nothing like, you know, there's a few guys on here that I have on my list and even the guard that I have. That what caught my eye is the flashy thing about them the, and the flashy thing about their game. For Ruiz, there's, I mean, I guess maybe his get-off, like when he gets out of his stance, ooh, that's the flashy thing. But besides that, he does he does kind of everything right, but nothing like extravagant. So I think that's where, if you're talking about a guy that maybe doesn't do, that doesn't have anything flashy about him, and he doesn't, you know, he's, he's not a mauler or he's not a pure technician, I can imagine that there's some discrepancies that can come in when you're talking about, hey, he's not, he doesn't really have the best anchor and he gets pushed back uh, somewhat easily sometimes. So, all right, first on my list, Bobby Skinner, Matt Hennessy from Temple. And today, breaking news, I actually have the right size. I actually have the right sizes. I got them from the combine. Very good. It's it's important (laughs) with the center position as well. I, I checked. I checked back. I, I I took an extra step to make sure that I that I that I got that right. So Matt Hennessy from Temple, six four, three hundred and seven pounds in my plus plus category. He has an awesome base and footwork. Awesome to watch him operate both in pass sets and in the run game. When moving up to the secondary level, he's not a mauler, but he understands leverage and angles. Simply turning his body and letting a ball carrier run right behind his backside, it's not pretty, but it's smart football. You don't need to be a mauler to be a good lineman, but if you have good footwork, good lateral movement, you can set yourself up for success. It's kind of like how I started the show. And Hennessy has those things. He gets his hands on the defender first, and he maintains control. He also has three years of experience. 
in my plus category. Insane balance. I rarely see him reaching or lunging in both his pass sets and in the run game. You see so often guys on the balls of their feet lunging forward to block defenders instead of keeping a solid base and keeping their hips under them. Hennessy keeps his hips under him, and you particularly see this as he moves to the secondary level in the run game. His punch is also tight in between the shoulder pads. Again, you won't find Hennessy reaching. You won't find him reaching on the outside of those shoulder pads by these shoulders. He had an awesome senior bowl, and reportedly coaches were loving him too. And we all know how much the Giants love guys who perform well at the senior bowl. He also moves well in space, in pull blocks, and has good awareness to put a hat on a helmet. In my minus category, he's not the biggest guy in the world. And the problem the Giants have had at center is a guy that's lacking play strength. Now, just because he isn't the biggest guy in the world doesn't mean that he has a play strength problem. But with not facing top-notch competition, those problems will inevitably be raised. He ran primarily an outside zone scheme at Temple, where he was rarely asked to block for a running back going straight up the A-gap. Some criticize his athleticism, but his combine numbers were solid and his field work was awesome. I want to see him develop a bit more in his pass sets when it comes to stunts. He needs to see those things developing and come off his primary block a little bit quicker. But overall, I love Hennessy. Give me a guy who is smart, who has good footwork, and is fundamentally sound all day over the big, strong, and overpowering guy with poor footwork every day of the weekend, twice on Sunday. He is also a product of Don Bosco Prep in northern New Jersey, and I am so biased towards these northern Jersey prep schools because it's one of the best areas in the country so i would love if the giants can come away with hennessy don't know if he's a day one starter but i would really like him in blue what i like is that he knows how to pull and guess who else knows how to pull tyler biadaz it's it's spelled b-i-a-d-a-s-z if we do draft him i'm going to call him tire beat beat that beat that ass uh out of wisconsin he's six foot four 314 pounds so he's a bigger uh center um, he didn't participate in the combine due to an AC joint and, um, or he got his, uh, his shoulder scope with the AC joint, whatever that means. I just read it. I don't know what it actually means, but nonetheless, he is durable because he started 41 career games at Wisconsin, started as a freshman. He was probably the one that was more fun to watch. I don't think he's better than Ruiz, but he was the one that was more fun to watch. If you can say watching a center is fun. He leans on guys a little bit, but he also rolled like when he does, he rolls his hips and he gets really good movement, um, off the ball. That being said, if you get caught leaning in the NFL, it can get you in trouble a little bit. But nonetheless, like you gotta lean, you gotta lean a little bit. Uh, he's got good angles getting to the linebackers. He's got kind of like a skinny base, but I can deal with that if you if you get good angles, you can you can widen that out a little bit. He doesn't need to be perfect to win, which is good because he doesn't need like sometimes you just gotta be like a, a more of a band from the guy in front of you, especially at the center position, and that's kind of what he is. Like I said, he can pull, and he pulls with really good vision. It's fun to watch him pull. Uh, I like watching uh, Tyler beat beat that ass better than Cesar Ruiz, although Cesar Ruiz is a better prospect probably. But if if, if beat that ass um, ends up being better, I want to take all the credit for it. From what I've seen and what I've read about beat that ass, leaning. Leaning was the main thing, and... That makes me cringe. That makes me cringe, especially when you see this out of tackles. You may be able to get this away with, at, at center a little bit more because there's just less room to maneuver. But leaning and then you get in trouble with allowing pressures and then you wound up on your hands and knees and that's just a bad look. It's very embarrassing. All right. My next guy is Keith Ishmael. 6'3", 309 pounds out of San Diego State. Now I have to give credit here because our two friends of the show – Cameron Newman, Cam Newman, and our main man, Manny, who is currently a first responder, who's, uh, we, we salute you in your, for, for your service. They told me a really long time ago to look at Keith Ishmael, so I'm finally glad that I got around Manny to it. Manny also uh, told me to not die. He was very worried about us in the beginning of coronavirus. I've been taking it serious, Manny. No, we, we really have been, and Manny has also been providing me updates. Well, we were, I was making some reckless jokes to start the coronavirus thing. And then Manny, Manny sent a long message, but at that point I had already kind of taken a little serious. So anyways, thank you, Manny. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your service as well. So they were were telling me for a while, look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy. So I finally did. And actually uh, what I like is when people tell me to, you know, look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy, or when they give a suggestion and he's actually like an underrated lower end of the draft guy. And that's exactly what Keith Ishmael is. There are some 
uh, reports that are saying that he may not even go until like day three, which I find that to be very enticing. Very, very enticing for a possible day three guy. In my plus-plus category, another guy who sets a great base for himself. Hand placement is tight and consistent as well, just like Hennessy. And again, like Hennessy, I love the angles he takes when going up against linebackers in the secondary level. He may lunge from time to time, and he winds up on his knees, but... You know, if you're doing that in the secondary level every once in a while, as long as you make the block, get in front of somebody long enough for the ball carry to go by, I'm okay with it. In my plus category, he played in a more pro-style offense than Hennessy. He has three years of experience in it and has experience at both guard and center. His get-off off the line of scrimmage is awesome. His ability to recover when it looks like he may lose a rep is also impressive. He may get off balance for a second, but there were plays where I saw him reset and regain his base while maintaining proper hand placement, and that was fun to watch. In my minus category, unlike Hennessy, however, I will say that Ishmael has a play strength concern. He had shoulders, he had shoulder surgery in the offseason this year, so we didn't get to see what he could do with the bench press during the combine. There were times that he would be overpowered by defenders as well at the line of scrimmage. He would have good hand placement and everything would get and everything would be good, but he would just get stood up and pushed back. And that is a bit concerning when we are talking about the level of competition that he faced at San Diego State. He also had the tendency to let the backside defenders escape through on play action passes, but that's a coaching thing. That's a little thing. He also had terrible, terrible combine numbers, including drills where he was tested in lateral movement. However, I didn't see, like on film, I didn't see like a, like I'm not thinking to myself, he's bad in lateral movement. But again, I'm not a scout, so you know, just know that he had bad combine numbers in that regard. Overall, if Ishmael is being projected to go later in the draft, I think this can be a really good value pick. I do not think he is a day one ready starter, but adding some muscle mass may help his chances at being a quality pro player. He is much more of a positional blocker, but again, I am okay with that. Give me a technician over a mauler who is inconsistent for like the fifth time this episode. Yeah, he's got really good like mirroring ability when, you know, pass sets. But you know who doesn't really have great um, mirroring ability? Washington center Nick Harris. He's six foot one, three hundred two pounds. Ran a five one forty. Had twenty bench press reps. Not great. Twenty nine and a half inch vertical jump. So he had like a kind of bad combine. He had forty two starts in four years at the University of Washington. Now his strengths. He's very quick to the second level with really good angles. I mean, he's quick. He gets there extremely fast. Like it's it's kind of shocking how fast he can get to the second level. He's like a full effort uh, player on every single play. He's given his full effort and trying to move guys, but he doesn't get a ton of movement. And I, there was times where he did, but there's just for the most part, he does, just doesn't get it all the time. He's an extremely smart player, and that's something we talk about. He's very smart. He knows how to call, call out protections. He can pick up stunts really well. The thing is, man, is just faster defensive tackles, I feel like, are going to beat him. And that's the thing with this center position, man, is once you get past the first four, it's like, these guys are kind of projects. So uh, Nick Harris, I think he has the ability. I think he's smart enough, and, I, and obviously he can. You, you can get stronger. But I just think physically wise, he's one of those guys where I like that he's he's smart, he's fast, but I just don't know if he can handle like NFL defensive tackles physically. This is exactly why it's important to watch film because I actually made a video about Harris uh, the day of the combine. And he was moving laterally, and he looked pretty good in shorts. So I'm glad you brought. It looks great, honestly. <laughs> like he, he's very good in those drills. But yeah, the the video that I made, I I, li- I like those videos. Like when you this this happens during the preseason too. When you make certain videos about certain players, the families or whoever is connected to that community. So it was for for this. It was it was Washington, right? Yeah. So the Washington community got a hold that I made a Nick Harris combine video of him moving laterally and they were retweeting. It got a little bit of attention. That was nice. So I'm glad you brought that up, Bob, because I didn't know that about him. That was talking Justin's tweets, talking Justin's tweets. I'm going to look it up right now. Let's see see what the numbers were on this. I hope it was Nick Harris. That would be embarrassing if if it wasn't Horace. Yeah, it did pretty good. 3.4 thousand views, I guess. It's pretty good for just a random combine. He is quick. No, oh, but I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up it's, nevertheless that it wasn't that great on film like I thought it was. So thank you. Here's a Washington reply. Three plus years starting the playoff game against Alabama as a true freshman. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean that, I guess that was the the biggest Washington. Go follow at Hal and Husky. Yeah, that, I I do All have right, to say. Ahead. I do I do have to say. I think I said he was a two year starter, or I, I said something in my initial tweet. 
and then multiple people, I think, or it might have been that one guy that told me multiple times. No, you said times, three-year starter. Oh, no, he's a three-year. Oh, oh well, then it was a three-year he's starter. He's a three-year starter, and the guy said in... three plus. Oh, yeah, what a jerk. You're a jerk, Hallen Husky. Three plus. He started one bowl game. Shut up. Yeah, Howland so he started the bowl, like the bowl, the bowl game, I guess, of like his freshman year. So I forgot. I didn't include that one game, and he that that one guy really got on me. So I'm like, oh, that's impressive. He even has what a, a start loser. against Alabama. You suck, I tried Mike not Martin, to be mean. How, AKA Howard Husky. What a loser you are. Thank you for defending me. I appreciate this. Writer, the dog father. This guy's a just a huge douche. You just told everyone to follow him, and now you're saying he's a douche. Yeah, go follow him and bully him. Oh, jeez, right, okay. <laughs> I appreciate when, you defending my honor. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do it right now. I'm just going to tweet at him, and you guys can see this. We can't see this. This is a podcast. Well, they can look at the tweet. Oh, got it. Okay. At Hallen Husky. Yo. Washington sucks. <laughs> All right. It's, it's, it's been done. Okay. Are you ready for my final player, who is an offensive guard? <laughs> oh, wait, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a player. I just totally no, skipped the player. don't you have player. another center? I do. I just totally yeah, I was gonna say, don't you? skipped the player. Okay, never mind. All right. My final center, I will say. My final center. Lloyd Cushenberry, 6'3", 312 pounds, out of LSU, Louisiana State University. My plus-plus category, play strength, is not an issue with Cushenberry. He's got strength. He's got the power. He does not give up ground against nose tackles and defensive tackles. There was a play during that Alabama-LSU game where the pocket was collapsing around Joe Burrow by, like, the tackles, and the play ended up in a sack. But by the time the play ended, Cushenberry had defensive tackle DJ Dale and Daquan Davis, he had him absolutely contained. Dale took up 75% of, atten- of his attention on the right side, and Davis was, like, on his left arm. So he was basically blocking two guys at one time. It was crazy, crazy to see. In my plus category, he has the frame, length, and size you want out of his center. There's no questions there compared to our other guys. Another guy with good hand placement when he gets his hands on a defender, and he is an anchor in pass protection, and he drives guys in the run game. But my minus category, he allowed multiple pressures in all but four of his 15 games played and allowed 34 total pressures on the year. That's not good, but also take it with a grain of salt because he's facing the toughest competition in the country. He lunges towards blockers and winds up on the ground way too much. Bobby, I don't know where this started, but whenever we would turn on my game tape when I played, you know, back in the day, I could just sense that my father wasn't pleased with me, even if I made a block. But if I wound up on my, if I wound up like somehow on my knees or if I wound up on the ground, it's not a good look. And even if I made a block, every, anytime I wound up on the ground, I felt shame. Jeez, dude. So, That's some brutal stuff right there. So, so overall, my point is, is that Cushenberry is a guy that winds up on the ground too much. It could be because he's lunging. Most likely, when you're, when you're winding up on your hands and knees as an offensive lineman, it's because you're lunging towards linebackers. So, he winds up on the ground too much. That's 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 a that's a part in my minus category. Take it or leave it. He does have some issues with <laughs> he does have some issues with lateral movement, which inevitably means his range is limited as well as both a pass blocker and run blocker. If guys are rushing the passer and they cross his face, he has trouble moving laterally to keep up with them. And for this reason, most likely, we didn't get to see him participate in any change of direction drills at the combine because they probably would have been horrible. Overall, I saw a lot of inconsistent work with Cushenberry. There would be plays where your draw is on the floor and then others where you where your face is in your hands out of frustration. He is the type of player the Giants need. They need an anchor in the middle, but are you willing to sacrifice interior pressure from time to time because Cushenberry doesn't have the lateral quickness to keep up with what is happening in front of him? I am not sure, but I'm rooting for him because he is fun to watch. Right, right, right. All right, so I'm going to finish my centers off with Oregon center Jake Hansen, six foot four, three hundred three pounds. He ran a five five forty at the combine, which made me feel better about my um, you know five six uh, forty time. <laughs> yeah, thir- now I didn't have thirty three bench press reps at two twenty five, so I guess he's got me there. This guy started forty nine games, so he started all four years. More, he didn't start three plus years because he started one bowl game. Justin, he started all four years at Oregon. In the same division as Washington. The bench press reps are real. He folds dudes. I'm telling you, like, 
he gets you on an angle and he will pit you on the ground and it's it's fun to watch and with that he always finishes blocks he doesn't like he doesn't get one two three and then just kind of stalemate no he is constantly finishing through you and i love that about the guy it's fun to watch the thing is though and he's not going to get bullied and uh pass sets he's if if he gets his hands on you and pass sets he's probably he's got you the thing is, is that he is slow. The, the, the 40 doesn't lie either. He's slow. Um, he's really bad horizontally. So you get a faster defensive tackle, faster nose tackle on him, and he will struggle. A guy like Quinn and Williams, I could see just eating this guy alive. Um, that being said, that's part of the reason why he's like the eighth or ninth ranked center. But nonetheless, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's fun to watch because he just bullies dudes. Why do I feel like we're having way more fun watching centers than we did like wide receivers and cornerbacks? Because I'm better at judging them. I'm with you, but football should just be fun to watch anyway. I feel like every single guy we've seen, we're like, oh, this guy's fun to watch despite this limitation. God, we need to we we need to reevaluate our our mindset heading into other positions because this is a fun episode. I'm having a lot of fun. But cornerbacks and wide receivers, I didn't have a ton of wide receivers I had fun. But Justin, you're saying this is a fun episode, but we're recording this part we you know, a little you know, behind the scenes, we record this part of the show. Um, so first we have yet to discuss Christian McCaffrey. So you might be saying this is a fun show and it might, it might've went really bad before. No, I'm, so let's anyways, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to let well, you we'll see. I'm going to we'll let see. you speak. You better leave all this in. I'm leaving it all. I'm leaving it all in. I'm really in a good mindset where I'm not going to argue. I'm going to let you say your points because I know we're, here's the thing. I know we're not going to agree. This is, this no, is strange. This is. This is um. Why not? This is what if we do? What if we make some good? What if you make some points that convince me, or I make some points that convince you? Why can't we agree? This is like inception for our listeners right now because they're hearing us talk about a conversation that we didn't have yet, yet they already heard it. Yeah. Anyways, let's (laughs) move. Let's move it along. All right. uh, My instead of doing pre-show, my guard, my guard, my good old guard, my one guard. Logan Stenberg, 6'6", 317 pounds, out of Kentucky. In my plus-plus category, he has been called the SEC's most disliked player, and with good reason. He was flagged 14 times after the whistle because he would not let his blocks go, so it is clear that this is a guy who is going to give you his all from the snap of the ball to the whistle. Dude is also a pancake machine, and he even likes to put whipped cream on top too, and I know that because of all those penalties. Plus, oh, first of all, I have to ask you: Did you like that? Did you like that metaphor? I I don't really get it. Pancake puts whipped cream on top because of the. Oh, I thought you said penalties. I didn't know you said pancakes. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Penalties. Dude is Anyways. a pancake machine, and he even likes to put whipped cream on the top too, because so he's he a would get all the. Oh, there we go. So you know what? You you ruined you ruined it. It's all right, though. I'll, 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 get, I'll get you next time. In my plus category, he's also a smart football player who works well in double teams and does a solid job improving his position in pass sets in the middle of a rep. In my minus category, if you remember how we described Lynn Bowden's season, remember Lynn Bowden, the, the ultra-wide receiver, running back, and quarterback? Well, Kentucky's offense rarely passed with any kind of consistency. They were a very run-heavy team, so we have little sample size in regards to what he can do in past sets in 2019. Overall, Stenberg is a great combo of a guy who is mean and technically sound. He will definitely be taken towards the upper half of the draft, but we're going to end off our evaluation once again with saying this. Just a fun guy to watch nevertheless. We're so good at this. No watch, fun to watch. That's our that's our that's our phrase. Fun guys to watch. Hey, we wouldn't be picking these guys if they weren't fun. To <laughs> I watch. guess so. So I got a fun guy to I got a fun guy to watch, and this guy is a pancake maker. I mean, he will hit you in the head like a frying pan, which is what a pancake maker is. John Simpson out of Clemson. We got a Clemson guy, six foot four, three hundred twenty one pounds. He's a guard, by the way. So we're we're just doing one guard. He ran a five two four forty thirty four bench press reps. That's a lot, Johnny. A 30-inch vertical jump. He started 29 games at Clemson. Obviously won a national championship with Clemson. This dude gets the realest of the real movement in the run game. I mean, he is an earth mover at guard. It's unbelievable watching him. You can't bull rush him. You just flat out cannot bull rush him. Like If you try and bull rush him, you will lose every single time. And he's got pretty good hands, too. Not great. He's not like Cesar Ruiz's hands, but he's got good hands. The thing is, is he's very slow out of his stance, and you can beat him with speed. Honestly, 
Now, this is going to come off really bad, but I'm going to say it. You know who he reminds me of? Eric Flowers. <laughs> he reminds me of Eric Flowers, but not in a bad way, because Eric Flowers was a decent guard, not a good guard. Shut up, Redskins fans. He was not good. A decent enough guard, and one of the biggest issues with Eric Flowers is that he just didn't put the work in. He was not a guy who was going to put in work, film, learning, and getting better. And he was kind of just a bad person. So the good things about John Simpson remind me of him and the fact that he's kind of slow out of his stance. Um, so, yeah, that's, that is our interior offensive line review. Justin, I mean, what do you think about the, the Eric Flowers comp? It's not a good thing to ever be mentioned in the same sentence as that guy. I don't care what city he's playing in um, and how much money he's getting. So, uh, no bueno. Thanks. Stay away from our team. I think we can make it work. Anyway, anyways, maybe a seventh round pick or something if, if somehow he falls. Um, yeah, so that's our interior offensive line preview. We'll be back on Friday, guys. No more uh, Dave Gettleman Panthers uh, draft class reviews. Friday, we'll be hitting inside linebackers. You know what that means. That means Isaiah Simmons. That means Patrick Queen. That means Kenneth Murray. We're hitting all the top dogs. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure to leave us a rating review. I'm going to, I said, I said, I'm asking every episode of the month of April. We don't even ask on most episodes, but the month of April, I'm asking every episode, help us get the 200 reviews. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Friday until then. Let's go big blue. John Boy Media has a new teammate. It's iHeart Podcasts. What does it mean? John Boy Media shows can now be found over at the Dan Patrick Show. That's right. How cool is that? Wake and Jake and Jimmy's three things have joined the iHeart Podcast and Dan Patrick Show family. And the best part, they'll still continue to be the same shows you know and love. If you couldn't tell, we're excited about this one. And thank you guys for listening.